Maybe we can get you a car deal, Luke Maley, with uh, the good folks at Sun Chevrolet. Into it? I'm definitely into it. Anything for free, I'm all in. Yeah, you were saying. Tonight is a night that, uh, let's just say, they, they bang this one. Yeah, this this looks less than optimal playing conditions right now, but, uh, you know, that's why we go to Florida first. Yeah, this is, this is a good point. Uh, Luke Maley, new Pirates catcher. Um, not exactly ideal catching conditions. No. No, that, what is that like if you, you know, at times you will be, at least for a short period of time, trying to catch 97-mile-an-hour fuzz from Joe Musgrove in conditions like this or Mitch Keller. Not fun. That's just, like, what is going through your mind? Well, what's going through my mind is someone was, uh, for, you know, I'm fortunate enough that someone gave me the jersey, so I better put it on <laughs> and, and do the job and okay. do it well. So that's the first thing that goes through my mind. But aside from that, you know, sometimes you just got to suck it up and do it. At the end of the day, it's baseball, though. We've been doing it our whole lives. I grew up you know, uh, in the Cincinnati area, so I'm used to cold weather. It's, it's just part of it. you got to do it sometimes. Luke Maley, new Pirates catcher. Oh, by the way, welcome to Pittsburgh. Thanks so much. <laughs> it's good to be here. Yeah, it really is. Seriously, uh, what, what do you think of the city? What do you think of the fans? Uh, I know you're still getting your, your, your feet wet here and learning uh, about the organization, but just the city in general. I mean, there's a lot of pressure to win here. Yeah, it's it's a great baseball city. I mean, I, I grew up, I mentioned I'm from Cincinnati. I grew up a Reds fan, so, you know, being in the same division as the Pirates and hearing all the stories from my dad and his dad and, you know, all those great rivalries dating back to the Clemente days. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's really cool that it's kind of come full circle where I'm in the National League, um, a chance to play against a team that I grew up watching a lot of. Um, know a bu- I know a bunch of former players that played here, a bunch of legends that I'm sure the fan base just adores and they should. And uh, the chance to play for this fan base is something I'm especially looking forward to. Not a Bengals fan, Luke Maley, or do we? Well, do we you know, that? I'm harmless, right? I am I'm, a Bengals fan, but well, what do you guys have to worry about? Well, I you was know, say, we, we haven't had a whole lot going on. We might have a decent quarterback ahead of us, though. But uh, you know, for now, you, this is a football city. I respect that. Yeah, um, big Joe Burrow fan, are you? But you probably watch the LSU season quite closely. Well, I had I had a rooting interest for that guy to stay healthy. Let's say that. <laughs> Luke Maley, a, a new Pirates catcher. Um, Kentucky Wildcat. You went through uh, Kentucky. Uh, John Calipari's a Western PA guy. He went to the Clarion University right up the uh, the, the road. So uh, you had a chance to be there at a pretty good time when he was doing some pretty crazy things. Well, I mean, the, the place was just electric when that guy came in. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet him a couple of times. I was I played basketball in high school. My grandpa played basketball in college. And so it was, you know, to go to Kentucky, obviously I'm there for the baseball, but the basketball atmosphere in my mind is second to none. And, um, you know, when he came aboard, it, it just electrified the entire place. And uh, the baseball team, I, I really believe we fed off of that. And there was that much energy. The football team, I think, has gained some of the momentum that he's created there. But, yeah, man, in Lexington, it's bourbon and basketball, and uh, mm. he heads that uh, second one for sure. Yeah, very cool. Uh, and, you know, looking at uh, Toronto, you had an opportunity to, to learn and grow there. You probably crossed paths with Russ Martin. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Russ, uh, I was his backup there in 17 and 18 and uh, played against him um, when he was with Toronto and I was with Tampa quite a bit. So uh, pretty good buddies with him, know him really well. We had some awesome times together and super can't tell you how fortunate I was to be behind that guy. And I'm sure as the fan base here knows, he's he's just even better um, than you can even imagine. So a lot of good things to say about uh, He was really good here two years, and he made the most of them here in Pittsburgh, and I don't think it's a coincidence. Uh, the reason why he was acquired and the Pirates at the time overpaid for him was his ability to grab strikes at the bottom of the zone. That was the thing back in, in the day, and it still is, pitch framing. And he had... 
before it really became in vogue, just such a, a great reputation. And I would assume that you probably picked up a few things from him while in Toronto. Definitely. Um, you know, I think his professionalism, first and foremost, sticks out to me. Um, the pitch framing thing, you know, it's so cool because this position has there's, it's gained so much traction with receiving and, and calling a game, too. But the receiving, especially because it's more measured now, um, you get to see how different body types do it a little bit differently. And, you know, Russ being a little bit stockier, a little bit shorter than I, we had some different ways of doing of doing things. But, you know, there were also some tendencies that we both had that maybe we weren't totally locked in and we could kind of notice different things and maybe branch out and take different parts of the other one's game at times. Um, I probably did a little bit more off his than he did of mine. But, you know, I'd like to think we had a pretty cool relationship, especially the, the style, uh, the difference in style that we had. What makes a good pitch framer? Um well, at the end of the day, I mean, I think that if you have the ability to pocket the ball more often than the other guy, you're going to end up getting better numbers. I, I, what do you I, mean by that? Well, so you know, I think anybody that's played catch in their backyard knows, you know, when that ball hits your mid and makes that nice crack sound, it's not the velocity that's doing that. It may sound like the guy's throwing 100, but it's really just the way that you're catching the ball in the pocket, and it's going to make that dead sound if you're just, a, you know, a touch off here or there. Um, and, you know, there's... There's certainly some guys that are great receivers that don't always have that pop, and you can get a strike without getting that pop, but I think it starts there. Um, I think it starts with kind of having a softness to your game, um, making things that are complicated look easy. And, um, you know, if, if someone, what I tell, like, kids all the time is if someone were to throw a pitch right down the middle, you wouldn't move. You would just catch, and it would look easy. And to me, that's what I want to make them all look like, especially the borderline pitches. Keeping strike strikes, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Not trying to trick them. Just want to keep the strike strikes and, and present everything as best I can. So uh, in the off season, how do you refine your game? How do you take it to the next level? Because I was talking to you a little bit before, and, and Derek Shelton last hour, uh, how every player seems to have some sort of personal instructor, whether it's a pitching guru, catching guys uh, you'll go see in the off season. Uh, the swing doctors. So what are you doing here to, to try to always stay on top of your game? Yeah, I mean, this has been a unique offseason for me. I, I live uh, just in the West Tampa area, so being with the Blue Jays and the Rays before that, um, my workouts consisted of either going to the complex there in Dunedin or Tropicana Field before that. So um, I was able to, well, I guess I wasn't able. I guess I was kind of forced to get off campus this past offseason. And um, I branched out. I met some really cool people from the Tampa Bay area that um, – you know, or in different organizations, and, you know, it's not so much like a hitting guru as much as it is just kind of getting with a group of guys that are passionate about the game. They love talking, hitting, and the styles differ, but, you know, that everybody kind of understands what the end goal is and when they're right, what it feels like, and just to kind of hear different swing thoughts from guys in the minor leagues all the way up to seven, eight, nine-year big leaguers, um, you know, it's pretty cool. You know Derek Shelton quite well. Is that correct? I do. I know him, uh, well, maybe not as well as, um, you know, like uh, some of the guys have been with the Twins the last couple of years. I'm sure he's, you know, he's people change. You never know. What, he's got that beard now and everything. So <laughs> I know. I'm going to have to adjust to that. But, yeah, I've known Sheltie a long time. So, uh, basically, give us the lowdown on him. Oh, who are the Pirates getting as their next manager? Um, I mean, for my money, I, I think the guy should have had a job uh, managing a long time ago. Um, he was always kind of known as the hitting guy with Tampa. and um, But it was so clear that he knew he had so much more to give than, than just being a hitting coach. Um, he got that opportunity 
to be with the Twins the last couple of years and just the few times that we've crossed paths, you know, you could tell that he was just eating up, kind of being in a position where it was just a little bit more managerial instead of hitting uh, dominant. Um, but what you're getting is, uh, in my mind, a guy that's, you know, everybody's going to fall in love with. I really believe that. And people are going to make their own impressions, and I want to leave it up to them. But uh, just talking with my teammates, everybody has a pretty good um, – they have a very similar impression of him early on of what uh, I've had of him the last five or six years that I've known him. Well, what is that impression? Well, I mean, he, he keeps it light, um, but he's uber competitive. Um, he likes to get down to business. If we're there to work, then we're going to get at it. But, you know, having perspective in your life, um, you know, I think it's not a bad thing. And it's hard for fans to understand that sometimes. But sometimes taking it easy and, and being able to laugh at yourself and things like that are good. And I think he's got a really good balance of that. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, I haven't, haven't played for him as a manager. So maybe I'll hate him. I don't know. We'll have to see how it goes. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you were busting his chops earlier there. I overheard you already taking shots at how much money he's making right uh, now. Oh, yeah. I mean, he can handle it. He yeah, can handle he, it. Well, I mean, big he, shoulders, huh? Well, I was a rookie when, I, <laughs> when he was still in Tampa, so, I mean, he gave it to me pretty hard. Now that I've got just a smidgen of service time, I'm, I think I, I can go like one jab a week and try and make get back to even at some point. <laughs> That's the quote of Luke Maley, a new Pirates catcher, who's with us here. Live from PNC Park, we're at the Hall of Fame Club Pirate Fest uh, over the weekend, um, so uh, having a lot of fun here. We'll be talking to Cole Tucker coming up a little bit later. Have you met Cole Tucker, by the way? Yeah, I have, absolutely. Nicest guy in the history of nice guys? He's up there. He's definitely up there. Jared Hughes was a really nice guy. Yep. I don't know if you ever crossed paths with Hughesy. He was here for a long time. Um, like it's uh, who's nicer, Cole Tucker or Jared Hughes? Uh, who's uh, who is like the nicest guy that you've met until you met Cole Tucker? Oof. Man, I tell you what, I could give some shout-outs all day about that. Uh, let's just say this. I mean, Cole has given just about everybody that I've got in my back pocket a run for. Like, if you're all in with Cole Tucker, you got a pretty good hand. But who isn't? Like, a stranger's all in with Cole Tucker. At least you feel that way. I, I mean, I can't argue with him. I mean, I don't, I, don't th- I don't see how you could go any other way. Okay, so uh, nicest teammate up until Cole Tucker was put Ooh. you on the spot. You seem well, like a nice guy. I, no, I mean, uh, you know, I have my moments. But, I mean, Devin Travis, I, Devin's my boy. I've known him a long time. We were teammates uh, in Toronto. Um, but, I mean, there's a killer inside of him, you know what I mean, just like I'm sure there is. But I just haven't seen that side of Cole yet. So, you know, right now I think Cole has to be the leader in the clubhouse because I've seen Devin when he's mad, and you know, I haven't really seen Cole like that yet. Yeah, he so. smiles when he's mad. Yeah, I'm it seems sure. that way. So far it seems that way. It, it's, it's, incre- it's almost... I don't want to say too good to be true, but you're almost taken aback by it. Like, this is the nicest man in the history of, of uh, nice hey, people. Man, as, as many games as we play, as much time as we spend around each other, that's a good guy to have in your clubhouse. I mean, how and how important is that? Because I'm sure you may have heard, uh, 2019 was interesting here in, in the Berg, in the Yins, as we say. Yeah, no, I mean, I, on the other side, though, I mean, I was across the border, so, you know, sure. there was some stuff that slipped by the wayside on me. But, yeah, I did hear it was interesting. Yeah, but, but, but having my point, the larger point being, Having the Cole Tuckers of the world, uh, they're important. Yeah, no question about it, especially in this game. So uh, having the Luke Maley's of the world also important. You're going to bring to the table what? Well, I mean, I think you're always going to get defense out of me. Um, I feel like I've shown that, and I'm I'm trying to get better every day at that. But, um, you know, the offensive part is something that I'm really going to try and work on and fix, and I know I will. Um, You know, I, I know what I'm capable of. I've done it in the minor leagues. Haven't really got the everyday playing time because I haven't earned it. Um, but, you know, we've got a great catching situation here. Um, Stallings had an unbelievable year last year, from what I'm told and from what I saw. Super good teammate as well, super nice guy, great with the pitchers. Um, I'm going to try and follow his lead with that. 
And uh, the times that I get up to the plate with some guys on, I'm going to drive them in. Luke Maley, new Pirates catcher, is with us uh, here for a few more moments. Is uh, We talk about the 2020 season and pitching. Uh, you've got some... You've got some horses. Uh, clearly, it's an area that needs improvement, at least from a result perspective. But when you look at the cast of characters, especially in the starting rotation, Luke, that you have to work with, your initial thoughts are what? Well, I mean, first and foremost, i got a lot to learn. You know, just coming over from, a, obviously, a different team, but coming over from a different league. You know, it's not like i got a chance to face these guys hardly, you know, at all in the last few years, um, pretty much dating back to the minor league days for some of them. So I think the first thing is I'm going to kind of piggyback off what uh, Stallings has done here. I mean, he's, by all accounts, done an unbelievable job, and people have nothing but good things to say about the way he called the games last year. And, um, you know, just the relationships that he's built with this clubhouse and this staff, I think is, you know, something that I'd be best served to kind of piggyback off of. So looking forward to that. But um, it all starts with communication. That's what I tell everybody every time I get asked this question, and uh, that starts um, hopefully before spring training, like in an event like this. Yeah, and I was going to ask you what the process is like. So uh, is there a manual, there's no book to kind of follow when you switch leagues as a catcher and then essentially teams to kind of absorb it, learn an entire different division plus a staff. So you're going to go about it how? Well, I mean, there's so much analytical stuff right now, and uh, it's not that I want to come off as a guy that just completely relies on it because I don't, but in some respects you'd have to be an idiot not to take some of it into account. So there's going to be a lot of stuff that I learned about these guys that I'm sure I didn't know before based on the data, based on spin rates, sequencing, things like that that the computer, uh, the computer picks up on far before we do. And uh, that will probably come from the pitching coaches and uh, maybe some scouting department or, or what have you that's within the organization. Um, you know, so all that stuff goes into account. But for me, you know, I like to keep it pretty relaxed. I'm a straightforward guy. I like to know what guys feel more than what the reality is when it comes to in between the lines. Um, I always liken it to, uh, I don't know, like a golf swing. You know, it's, if whatever you're feeling, even if it's if it makes you do something that's totally wrong and but it gets you to hit the ball straight, then that's what you should do. And with the pitcher-catcher relationship, sometimes that's best served for those guys because you want them feeling um, good about themselves out there. So there's so much data out there when you do pop the hood on it or you open up a binder or you're going to go to your quantitative analysis that worked for the organization, you're going to ask them for what and what rabbit hole are you going to go down? Uh, you know, I think that's a good question. Um, there's a lot of places you could begin. I like guess, where do you start? Well, I think I the mean, first place I would start is what the batting average is off of that pitch when it's thrown in the middle of the plate um, in, in certain counts. And you'd be... At least I've been pretty amazed to learn what people are hitting on OO fastballs right in the middle of the plate on guys with really good spin rates. And even if they're throwing 90, 91 miles an hour, a lot of times, you know, you get this ridiculous amount of um, data, you know, where there's been 700 of those pitches over the guy's career and maybe 60 of them have been put in play and four of them are for extra base hits. And it's just, uh, it's remarkable when you look at it like that. Um, and again, I, I feel like I'm kind of coming off like a, a data first guy and uh, I'm, I don't mean to because um, I think that there's a heart of the game that it's kept me in the big leagues and I've been really good at. Um, but the more I've learned about it, it's just so cool to learn things that you didn't know before about a guy that, uh, you know, it's one thing when you've been catching him for six or seven years and 
now to have guys that I'm catching for the first time with some of them, you know, it's even more important. But if you think about it, you know, when you look at data, and I'm not a, you know, I, I have to embrace it because of my job and just where the game is going, and I'm sure you do as well as we're chatting with Luke Maley, uh, one of the new Pirates catchers. It kind of confirms all of the anecdotal stuff that you've seen, and you're also able to, correct me if I'm wrong here, I would think, hybrid it into the human element and, you know, That's use exactly use right. that in in how you go about about your business. Do I, do I have that right? Totally, and then it, it just gives you a foundation, right? You know, it just... It's like building an argument. You know, if you, got, if you want to call certain sequences with a guy that you know is not comfortable with doing that or hasn't done it in the past, you know, it just gives you some sort of foundation says this is why we should do it or this is why we should at least explore it. And then from there, it's the catcher's job to just kind of rely on people's skills and his own personality and that pitcher's personality to get the message across and hopefully you come away with something that gets the guy better. What else are you going to dive into? You mentioned numbers against a particular pitch. Uh, and um, w- w- what do you nerd out or at least find fascinating from an analytical side of things? Man, this could be, we should do a show. Yeah, I know. This, we, could, know? we could podcast, <laughs> man. And I mean. The limited amount of time. I, I guess the best way I can answer that, um, you know, it might be a disappointing answer, but where my mind keeps going is just my days when I was in Tampa, and it was sort of a newer thing. Um, they were a little bit ahead of the curve, I'd like to think. Um, with some of the data stuff, and they were certainly ahead of the curve in terms of releasing that information to the minor league side, which is where I was um, up until 2015. So I was privy to some information um, along with, you know, getting strikes and and that sort of stuff uh, at a pretty young age um, in my professional ranks. And uh, I guess my mind keeps going there because I I just find amazing how many little things that are just bite-sized that you kind of hang on to, you know, up until now, it's what my ninth year in professional baseball, and you still remember certain things that are so small, but occasionally you break them out in the middle of a game, and when they work, it's just a really cool feeling. What blows your mind uh, about the analytics and the data, or something that just completely changed your mind from whatever your conventional thinking was, and then you did a 180 on? Um, I would say probably the amount of breaking balls that are thrown with two strikes and how successful they are. Hmm. And I, I had always had this theory, um, and I kind of—I guess I went back and forth on it, but in it, there were so many guys that had nasty stuff where we'd be in a 3-2 count, and I'd be, a, as a hitter, I always used to think, man, like I feel like 3-2 is just never, ever a strike. Like, I feel like we should be up there, you know, looking for it to be uh, a ball and almost looking, you don't want to say looking to walk, but it just seems like it's always out of the zone. And there's been some information that I don't want to completely quote because I don't know if I have the numbers totally right, but there are so many suggestions that say that you should get guy, you should treat it like an 0-2 count because the swing rate is up so high with 3-2. Hmm. Um, and that's just one of many examples. And, I, again, I wish I had the exact numbers on it, but just little things like that, um, you know, and, and it, it's hitter – the hitter varies, and, and you got to take that into account, too, and the pitcher varies as well. But um, tendencies are pretty amazing. Why is the game right now fueled by velocity up in the zone with hand-high fastballs? I think because it's been a tough pitch to hit since the 1800s. <laughs> I mean, I, I really think... But there's yeah. been a, a, a hockey stick in the amount of them, though, in the last two, three years. That's true. I, I have a little bit of a – I mean, I definitely think that people are smartening up to understanding how important of a pitch it is. But I also think it's like, why are there so many seven-footers that are starting to shoot three-point three shots in the <laughs> NBA? It's like, well, 
we got more of them that can do it now. Yeah. You know, when we did back in uh, Will Chamberlain's day. So I think that's part of it too. It's probably not one or the other, but I think some of the reason is everybody throws so hard now. Where is the game going? What's the next thing? I mean, it's always ebbing and flowing at least. I mean, as soon as you find out about something, it's seemingly, Luke, antiquated or old, or the league has already pivoted in a different direction. So where is the pivot now and which path is it taking us on? You know, I, I, I'd like to think that um, the game kind of trends and it sort of has ebbs and flows. And I think you're going to see the importance of putting the ball in play um, at a premium again at some point in the near future. And, and I, I'm not exactly sure uh, how the numbers are going to kind of come around to suggest that that's still important in terms of a sabermetric perspective. But just knowing your teammates and being on teams that I've been on and playing on some winning teams, especially in the minor leagues, um, I know that for some reason that's important. I just don't have the... Uh, the math that a computer would have to prove it. But I, I would imagine that you're going to start to see the game change that way. And then from a pitching side, I think that it's going to be about um, pitching deep into games again. Um, I think asking bullpens to pitch five innings every night is really, really challenging, especially um, with the new three-batter rule. Um, I think that's going to change some things up a little bit, and you're going to want to see your starter um, you know, have the ball in his hand a little more. At least that's my hope because uh, I think um, that part of the game is really, really special when it's like that. So we're literally just going to turn the clock back into the 1988 season, and that's going to be 2022. No, to a certain degree, yes, but, uh, you know, there, there's always – it always changes and it's always evolving, and that's what makes baseball great in my opinion. So Adam Frazier, once he hits free agency, he's going to be in a good spot with, with his approach. I mean, it, but it's, it's, it's a – it's amazing, though, that, you know, there's all these concerns and we get so reactionary, like, oh, my gosh, you know, there's way too many strikeouts. You just have the three true outcomes of strikeout, walk, home run, uh, that everybody almost wants to make these sweeping changes in the game. But almost like an economy, it's going to be cyclical. That's, and it's just the it. market is going to self-correct it. The market is going to change. Yeah, and maybe it doesn't. Um, but... You know, I think that if you asked a bunch of guys, um, you know, the fans, we have sort of the same sentiments in a lot of ways. You know, we like watching that game that people talk about and refer to all the time as well. And uh, it's not just because it's more enjoyable to watch. It's because, you know, we've played with a lot of good players that that's how they played and they were grinders and they were gamers. And um, there's something to be said for that. And, uh I think that importance, it hasn't been lost, but I think it might get heightened um, back to where it should be. Yeah, once you can kind of quantify it, there's enough smart people to say, wait a second, this is where we had it, and this is where it went. Wait, let's go back here because we can A, B, C, and D, and, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun. That's, I, I like that perspective uh, from, from a player inside the trenches, Luke Maley, Pirates catcher. Really enjoyed this. We scared everybody away here. We've literally emptied the room here in the uh, Hall of Fame club. I, I have that effect on people, especially. We, it was because of all the Bengals talk, I think. Well, won't hold it. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. Good uh, luck with that. Luke Maley, welcome to Pittsburgh, man. Appreciate you.